We're continuing our sermon series that we started a year ago, Mission of the Kingdom, by looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Last year, we looked at the Gospel of Luke. The same author writes the book of Acts. It's the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. If Luke is summarized by the arrival of the kingdom, the inauguration of the kingdom by Jesus, Acts could be summarized as the advancement of that kingdom to the far corners of the world. Throughout church history, though many have been perplexed. How could God use 11, 100 people, eventually just a few thousand people, to eventually lead to the greatest movement this world has ever seen? 11 to 100 to 3,000 to eventually become the most influential movement the world has ever seen. How could that happen? The book of Acts answers that question. Jesus, raised from the dead, spends 40 days with his disciples, preparing them for his departure, but preparing them also for their mission at hand. Let's study it together. Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Aren't we grateful we have the very word of God? Amen. Be seated, please. Are you on mission? Does your life have mission and purpose? In a room like this, if I went around and asked each one of you to write your life's mission statement on a three by five card, I think it'd be fascinating to see the responses. And for some of us, we might just be coasting through life. For some of us, we might be saying, my mission is to make it through the day. My mission is to make it to the next hour. But for some, there is a moment in life where the mission 
is crystallized. For the Christian, there is a moment, hopefully, when God's mission becomes your mission and the mission of God and his kingdom becomes a comprehensive mission that informs every area of life. Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, said to ordinary individuals like you and me, come and I will make you fishers of men. He spent three years with them teaching and training them concerning the mission. Jesus eventually killed, resurrected from the dead, but gets 40 days to finally prepare them. Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven and the 11 are going to remain. And it's this pivotal moment in Acts chapter one that Jesus spends with his 11 preparing them for the mission at hand. And that's what we study together this morning, the mission of God's people. I want us to look at the mission defined. I want us to look at the mission advanced. And third and lastly, I want us to look at the mission empowered, the mission that Christ gives to his people. First, the mission defined. Jesus spends 40 days defining the mission for his people. Some might say he used that time clarifying the mission because it wasn't the first time he had to define the mission for his people. Most Christians, I think it's fair to say, would admit or acknowledge that the mission of Jesus was to come to earth to save people and to take them up to heaven. Now, that is surely part of the mission of Jesus Christ. But that is not the ultimate mission of Jesus. We could argue that the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of sinners is a means to a greater mission. After all, in the Gospel of Matthew, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read that Jesus went from village to village telling people how to get saved and go to heaven. No. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, it says Jesus went from village to village preaching the good news of the kingdom. And Jesus spends three years talking about the mission and ministry of the kingdom of God. And Jesus has one last shot, one last teaching opportunity before he goes up to heaven and the disciples remain. And he could have chosen anything for this final teaching lesson. What, it, what does it say? In verse three, he spent 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God because the people of God were confused about the mission. How do we know they were confused about the mission? Look at verse six. After three years of teaching his disciples, his disciples ask him, Lord, is now the time where you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus at that moment had every right to throw up his hands and say, I'm done, I'm out. Three years of teaching you about the kingdom of God and the only thing on your mind is this territorial 
temporary ethnic political kingdom in Israel. The only thing on your mind is how you're gonna be rescued from Roman persecution and opposition. And Jesus in that moment had to clarify and define and redefine for them why he had come and what the mission of God's people was all about. They didn't have any vision for the Samaritans, no vision for the Greeks, no vision for the Romans and every tongue, tribe, and nation. Anybody who has studied organizational leadership might be familiar with the phrase mission creep. Mission creep. Mission creep happens when an organization takes on certain initiatives, programs, that causes them to deviate from their original chartered mission. Mission creep leads to mission confusion. And what this passage reminds us of is even the church suffers from mission creep. Even the church forgets their mission. Jesus is thinking cosmic, comprehensive, global kingdom that reaches the far corners of the world and here, the 11 are thinking, is now the time that you restore Israel? Is now the time for the territorial, ethnic, temporary, political kingdom to be restored to Israel? And they missed it. They suffered from mission creep and mission confusion. And just as they needed the mission defined for them 2,000 years ago, we need the mission defined for us again in the 21st century. John Calvin says that there, we could not have created more theological error than in one sentence in the Bible. They missed it. They missed the mission of the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to inaugurate his kingdom in order to restore the entire created order. He's not thinking this small territorial kingdom. He has come in to inaugurate a kingdom that reaches the far corners of the world, a cosmic kingdom. We pray it every week. Thy kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come in South Florida as it is in heaven, in the state of Florida as it is in heaven, in the United States of America as it is in heaven. It is the restoration of the kingdom and the created order to its original intended purpose as it was established in Genesis 1 and 2. The mission of the kingdom is nothing short of the people of God reclaiming the world for its rightful owner the King of kings and Lord of lords, seeking shalom in every dark corner of creation. And the people of God, even the 11, needed the mission defined. And we in the 21st century need to be reminded of the mission over and over and over again, that he is not just the king over us on Sunday morning, but he is the king over every nation Every, every tongue, every tribe, every territory, every culture, every society needs to be reminded that there is a king and he is on the throne of thrones. Application question for you this morning. Is your mission in life informed by this mission? Would someone be able to look at your calendar 
and your finances and your priority, your family and your marriage and your children and how you spend your free time, and would they say that your mission lines up with the mission of the kingdom? It's an important question to ask this week. Is my mission in life a comprehensive mission that matches the mission of the kingdom? Christ has given us a cosmic mission and it changes everything. The second thing I want you to see is this mission advanced. The disciples have all this teaching over three three years, all this teaching over 40 days concerning the kingdom of God. And they rightfully answer the question. You can see their sense of urgency in verse six. Tell us the timing. When's it gonna happen? Is now the time? And the last lesson Jesus gives them is this. I'm leaving and you're staying. I'm going up to heaven and the reason I'm not taking you with me is because you will be the very means, the vehicle by which the mission of the kingdom will be advanced. We learn how it's gonna be advanced in verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You, the church, will be the vehicle, the catalyst, the engine by which this mission that's right now just in Jerusalem will spread to the far corners of the earth. The church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years have been the means, the agents by which the mission of the kingdom of God is advanced. But this seems to be the pattern of God, doesn't it? In Genesis 1, God the king creates the heavens and the earth. He then creates male and female in his image. And God says, I am going to reign and rule through you, my people, my image bearers. You will be the ones that exercise dominion. You will be the ones that subdue the earth. You will be the ones that guard the garden. 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes. He redeems and restores and recreates image bearers in his image and likeness. And he says, once again, I'm leaving, but I'm going to reign and rule through you, the church of Jesus Christ. I've inaugurated the kingdom And through the church of Jesus Christ, you will be my witnesses to a lost and dying world. And it will involve going out to be witnesses to King Jesus, bearing witness to a lost and dying world that Jesus is on the throne, that he has defeated sin and death, and it is our high calling and privilege to bear witness to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This advancement of the kingdom will require going to Judea. Judea, aren't they the ones that crucified our Lord? This will require going to Samaria. Aren't they the people that we hate? This will require going to the ends of the earth, even Rome, those that will persecute us, the secular authorities, that will cause us to suffer and maybe even cause us to lay down our life for the cause of the mission of the kingdom, yes. And they answered the call 2,000 years ago and the church exploded. And the reason they were willing to suffer and die and go to the ends of the earth is because they saw the risen Christ. They saw the king before their very eyes and they knew without a shadow of a doubt that this king offered the only hope 
that could ever bring hope to a hopeless world. They understood that this Jesus offered a hope unlike anything this world could ever offer and provide, and it caught, caught on. And it was like a fire that stretched throughout the known world. And for 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has been advanced through ordinary people like you and me that are willing to be witnesses to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But I understand some of you might be sitting here this morning. This doesn't make sense. I mean, pastor, you're telling me that I am going to be used to advance the kingdom of God. I can't even show up to church on time. I can't even get dinner set on the table each night. And you're telling me I am going to be used to advance the kingdom of God. Third and most important part, point. Third, the mission empowered. How is this mission empowered for the people of God? I want to offer two things. One, the reality of the ascension and the presence of the Spirit. The reality of the ascension of Jesus Christ. We see it here in verse 10, in verse 9 and 10, that Jesus was lifted up. This is known theologically as the ascension. Most people think the ascension is simply what you read in this passage. Jesus is caught up in the air, caught up in the clouds. I mean, after all, we recited every Sunday this idea that Jesus ascended into heaven. But that's not what the ascension ultimately is. Yes, part of the ascension is him rising up into the heavens, but most importantly, the ascension is Jesus ascending the throne and taking his rightful place as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. At the coronation of King Charles III, back in the spring, we were told at the coronation that he ascended the throne. It didn't mean that King Charles was elevated up into the clouds, although some that day might have liked to see that happen. But it meant that he ascended the throne that day, that he became the King of England, and so when we read that Jesus ascended, it means that he is taking his rightful place as the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is sovereign over all, and it is that reality that empowered the church 2,000 years ago. Because if Jesus is just sovereign over us on Sunday mornings, if he's just sovereign over the spiritual realm, but he's not sovereign over our marriage and our families, if he's not sovereign over government and politics, if he's not sovereign over every square inch of our lives, what confidence do we have as the people of God? But the confidence the people of God had in the first century is that our Jesus Our Christ is reigning and ruling on the only throne that matters, that he is reigning and ruling through his church, and his sovereign reign extends to every area of life and throughout all creation. But he also not only gives us the assurance of the ascension, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 reminds us, that in just a few days, disciples, you are going to be given the gift of all gifts, that you are going to be given the Holy Spirit, which means the continual presence of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus in his bodily form, 
could either be in Jerusalem or he could be in Rome. He could be here in Fort Lauderdale or he could be in Athens. But he couldn't be at all those places at one time. By Jesus going up to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus is with us wherever we go. That's why Jesus was always telling his disciples, it'll be far better when I leave because you will be given the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that means that if you have the Holy Spirit as a child of God, he is with you wherever you go. Jesus is with you in your marriages and in your families. He is with you as you are ministering to your prodigal children. He is with you in your broken marriages. He is with you in your businesses. He is with you at every area of life and every step of the way. Jesus is with you. And the reality of the ascension and the presence of the Holy Spirit took an ordinary band of men Ordinary Galileans that were at one moment hiding from the authorities, denying Jesus Christ, and transformed them into witnesses that would turn this world upside down and would advance the mission of the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit was bearing witness. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the whole same Holy Spirit that has been empowering the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years, and it's the same Holy Spirit that can make you a child of God this morning. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never surrendered your life to the only one that can bring you hope and bring your circumstances and bring your sin and bring your shame under the foot of the cross and offer complete forgiveness and healing and hope forevermore. I plead with you this morning to confess Jesus as Lord. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And that same Holy Spirit that's been at work for 2,000 years can transform you in from a sinner to a saint, transform you from an orphan to a very child of God. That same coronation ceremony that I referenced of King Charles III began in the most beautiful way. If you watched it, you remembered a a young child who's known as the young royal chorister came out and before a packed house at Westminster Abbey and before a watching world, this young man declared these words, As children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. Brothers and sisters, this is the creed and the motto of everyone who belongs to the kingdom of God. We have the privilege to wake up every morning No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your career is, no matter what your background is or what your story, if you belong to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, we have the privilege to wake up every day and declare to the world as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. That we bring our children to the King We bring our marriages to the king. We bring our businesses to the king. We bring our lives to the king. And we bring a lost and dying world to the king of kings and lord of lords. It means no moment and no area of your life if you belong to Jesus Christ is ordinary. It's not. But every moment's sacred.
every moment holy, every moment a kingdom moment for those that belong to the king. Listen to me, there is only one mission, only one mission that is worthy of your life, and that is the mission of the kingdom of God. As outlined here in scripture, as we will begin to see week after week in the book of Acts, only one mission that is worthy of your life. And unfortunately, like many in the North American church, did you catch the reaction of the 11? They just kind of stood there, unmoved. It required two angels coming down saying, go, go. And I say to you this morning, just don't stand there, go. You're part of the mission of the kingdom of God. And so I ask you in this cultural moment and in the 21st century, who in this generation will answer this call? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you that the mission of the kingdom of God is not riding on us. The mission of the kingdom of God is riding on your work and your spirit and your ascension to the throne of thrones as the king of kings and lord of lords, but you have chosen in your infinite wisdom to use finite people like us as vehicles, as a catalyst for this kingdom work that you've called us to. May we not give our lives to missions and callings that are less than this, but may we give our lives to this audacious mission that took the world by storm 2,000 years ago and continues to take the world by storm today. Oh, if there was ever a moment we needed the church of Jesus Christ not to stand there, but to go out with the confidence of the ascension, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the time is now for the church to understand their high and holy calling, to declare to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord, reigning and ruling over every square inch of creation. And if there is anyone here that has never given their life to this king, there is a season which the king allows rebels to come home, complete forgiveness, And in exchange, by confessing their faith in Jesus Christ alone, they get in return the righteousness of God so they can stand before God forever holy and blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ. So if there's anyone here that has never confessed that Jesus is Lord, anyone here that has never believed it in their heart that God raised him from the dead, may you do so today and may you be saved. Repent and be saved. And give your life to the one who gave his life for you. And be empowered this day to be a part of the greatest movement the world has ever seen, the mission of the kingdom of God. We pray this all in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.